0: Feast of St. Matthias, the extra guy that was added. We can picture now the Church of Jerusalem, which had to deal with this infidelity of Judas and the pain that it must have left in the early church community among the apostles. They still couldn't believe that he would have betrayed them like that but they immediately understood that somebody had to replace him in that betrayal because of that betrayal they thought about the 12 tribes of Israel where well, we have to have 12 apostles we can't we just can't go ahead with just 11 and so we are told in the acts of the apostles that they decided to cast lots for their names. There was Joseph, called Barsabas, who was surnamed Eustus, and another guy, Matthias. Okay, Matthias. Barsabas, and Matthias. Who do we choose? They chose two guys who had they knew had been witnesses of all the affairs they had been there, they had always listened to Jesus so they, they would be good candidates but who do we choose? well we know they cast lots and it fell on Matthias it's all we know about him except that he had been witness to Jesus during his earthly life and that he was faithful unto the end and that's enough that 's enough, and uh, to the greatness of his fidelity was later added the divine call to take the place of Judas through his own martyrdom, kind of compensating for judas 's uh, betrayal and so Pope Benedict, uh, in one of his audiences uh, concludes. Uh, He says, while there is no lack of unworthy and treacherous Christians in the church, it is up to each of us to counterbalance the evil done by them with our clear witness to Jesus Christ, our Lord uh, and Savior. Kind of an appeal to our own responsibility, our sense of generosity to make up for the unworthy and, and, and treacherous behavior of others. And of course, also to have been chosen by lot means that he was not chosen for his qualities, his intellectual qualities, or his uh, good looks. So that maybe, perhaps, he could vent about, "Yeah, I was chosen because you know I, I'm pretty good. I'm, you know, I'm uh, you know, I know what I'm talking about. You know, I went to Harvard uh, after all. You know, so, <laughs> so it was clearly, though, drawn by lot." would have made one humanly think it was a coincidence, but it was a choice of God, ultimately. God made the lots fall on Matthias. And therefore, he chooses us for reasons that we don't know. So let us ask uh, St. Matthias. He's the kind of last guy in. He sneaks in through the back door us ask him to make us humble and always deeply aware of the divine nature of our vocation, of our call. And even more so now, as coordinators, this is also part and parcel of your divine vocation, that you too, you and I, we all be faithful to this call. But for us to be faithful, to, for us to be genuine, to be effective, we have, to, we have to have that foundation of humility, which we can imagine Matthias must have had for him to be faithful, to have gone all the way to, to be faithful to, to martyrdom. And we recall how our Lord spoke about humility in that story of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee there praying in the temple presumed that he was just. And in his prayer... He somehow managed to disdain others. He looked over his shoulder and saw the, the publican there and looked at him and said, I'm not a publican. You know? He felt superior. He was a Pharisee. He was chosen in the sense that he, he had certain responsibilities to protect the law, and to interpret it properly. He was always studying. He was always like, involved in this inner circle of people who knew a lot about the law. And he felt he was superior, he felt he was better in knowledge, better educated, more cultured, and probably in some ways he was, he knew a lot of things. He preferred himself to that publican. And maybe we sometimes prefer ourselves to others. We maybe it could happen that we may even prefer our own company and spend time with ourselves and our, our gadgets than Opening ourselves to the others And we can't always have Those conversations with others We prefer a conversation Simply kind of with ourselves Well when our Lord describes this Story of the publican We can see a sense of pain in his heart When he's talking about it It's it's painful for him to recount this In the sense that any expression Of of pride in our life Is painful for our Lord Because it's, it's It alienates us from God. We need humility. No matter what our responsibility is, we need to be humble. And, uh, of course, this Pharisee thought he was better, he thought he was superior, he was better, etc. There was an element of arrogance there, but the opposite is also true. That is, it is also true that it lacks humility for those who think that are completely, I am completely useless, I can't do nothing. No value. And they think about that, they begin to get depressed by their own faults, by their own fragilities. Indeed, in, in some places in these days, the primary focus given in the education of young people is to underline always their self esteem. It seems to be the primary focus. Okay, you have to have self esteem here. We have to boost your self esteem. They have to help them feel good about themselves. You know, that it's as though they try to do in many, many environments everything they can so that the young people feel good about themselves, even at the expense of the truth about oneself. Doesn't matter what the truth is, as long as you feel good. Now, of course, it's very good and well to prevent inferiority complexes, but really not at the cost of. Respect for reality by making us believe that we are better than we in fact are, because in the end the truth will ultimately come out sooner or later, and then the deception once it is unmasked will inevitably lead to deeper frustration. We cannot live on a lie like that Pharisee did, but we, we can't we can't either. In the sense, it uh, we, 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 you know, wouldn't be better for us to say, I'm useless, I can't do anything. The most important thing is not necessarily that we feel good about ourselves. We are often told, young people at least are told, you're, you're fabulous, you're a good person, you're wonderful. We need humility to be effective. It's a, it's a moral virtue. Self-esteem is good, but it's, it depends on psychology. It's not the most important thing. It's good. I mean, it's not bad. It's, but uh, it just refers to having a positive feeling about oneself. I'm good. I like myself. But it's a feeling. It's just a feeling. In the end, I must truly accept the truth about myself. I must accept the good things about myself, but the bad things too. My weaknesses, my fragilities... It's all got to come together to walk in the truth. If we walk in the truth, we'll be able to help others to walk in the truth when we guide them, when we lead them higher. We know that somebody who exaggerates their virtues, we consider them proud, but so is somebody who exaggerates their defects. But the humble person is guided by the truth. It's ruled by the truth. He knows that, or she knows that false modesty is just as contrary to humility as the classic arrogant person who thinks they're the greatest. No, the saints rather. The saints understood that they were sons and daughters of God and they had that inherent dignity because they are loved by God. That's the inherent dignity that they have. No matter what they've done. And the saints were able somehow to tap into this dignity despite the hardships of their life, despite their own weaknesses or failings. And so we ask now to be able to tap into this greatness that we have inherently in our divine filiation. I would suspect that St. Matthias was able to do that until the end. And we ask him to pray for us too, so we be humble. If we are humble, we will tap into the grandeur of our divine filiation and help others too to tap into it. Have I ever done that? Have I opened the horizons of the entire life to others by helping them to discover not so much their personal greatness, like they have these virtues or these qualities or these defects, but the greatness of being chosen by God, wanted by God, given a mission, like St. Matthias was. And he he got the mission by casting lots. I mean, he wasn't... uh, He wasn't counting cards, you know. He wasn't figuring this out like you you would in poker and cheating so that he could be chosen. It was God who chose him. It was God who chose us. In one of his encyclicals, Pope Francis, the encyclical called Gaudete et Exultate, it's a wonderful encyclical. I recommend you go over it again. It it has a lot of beautiful ideas. Some of them are perhaps... uh, a little bit more difficult or, or let's say more laborious to process. But at one point he speaks about two subtle heresies that are coming back today. Ancient heresies of Gnosticism and Pelagianism. And both agnosticism or not agnosticism but agnosticism are infected by pride. Gnosticism and Pelagianism. And he, he describes like Gnosticism. It presumes a purely subjective faith whose only interest, he says, is a certain experience or a set of ideas or bits of information which are meant to console me and to enlighten me, but ultimately keep me, he says, imprisoned in my own thoughts and in my own feelings. So this is Gnosticism, I, I I feel a sense of the goodness of these ideas. But Pelagianism, he says, he says the same power that Gnostics attributed to the intellect, like a nice series of ideas that I understand and so forth, and and I feel worthy of understanding, that same power now gets attributed in Pelagianism to the human will. The personal effort. It's a mindset of effort, even though he says they speak warmly about God's grace, ultimately they trust only in their own powers and feel superior to others because they observe certain rules or remain intrinsically faithful to a particular Catholic style. Now it's Hard to understand exactly what that particular Catholic style, what he means by that, but ultimately he's referring just to a form of activism. As long as I do all these things, you know, I'll be pleasing to God. This mentality says that if you fail at something, it's your fault. You didn't, you didn't struggle hard enough. You didn't struggle. It does not... It really does not see the transforming value of God's grace in life. It just means it's, it's like a machine. You have to be like a machine. It's true that we have to struggle, of course. But it's God's grace that makes us saints, that makes anybody a saint. It's God's grace that makes us humble, even. Pope Francis has a fascinating quote here from St. Augustine. In every case... St. Augustine taught, God commands you to do what you can and to ask for what you cannot. Do what you can. If you can't do this, ask for it. Do what you can and ask what you cannot do. And indeed, to pray to him humbly, grant what you command and command what you will. But we can... Apply this to the way we love As our Lord said in St. John He said, remain in my love If you keep my commandments You will remain in my love Just as I have kept my Father's commandments And remain in His love I have told you this So that my own joy may be in you My own joy be in you And your joy be complete This is my commandment That you love one another as I have loved you a man can have no greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. So St. Matthias, we don't know exactly how, but anyway, he I suppose one can research exactly how he laid down his life for his friends, but our Lord said, we cannot have a greater love than this. And we have to lay down our, our life for our friends, for our, our sisters in the work. We have to lay down our life. Give it for ourselves, in your family, with your spouse, your Give up your life Lay down your life And maybe we can ask ourselves How true is this in my, in my life Am I really laying things down Or am I just Like using my will um, You know Just Just a lot of activism A lot of effort Perhaps I told you that anecdote uh, Of a little girl Named uh, Lisa Who was suffering From some kind of rare Blood disease of some kind And so, it seems that her only chance of recovery was a blood transfusion from her five-year-old brother, who's younger than her. And uh, it seems that he had these antibodies that she needed to con- combat this illness. And they tried other ways, but they, they realized that he has the antibodies, he, we can make a blood transfusion from him. So, the doctor kind of approached the little boy. The family, of course, knew all about this and, and explained to him the situation and asked him if he would be willing to give his blood to his sister. See, he says, look, we're going to connect you with two tubes and put a tube in you and a tube in her, okay? Are you, can you give your blood to your sister, Lisa? And so he hesitated for a moment, took a deep breath, and said, Yes, I'm willing to do that if it will save Lisa. So the blood transfusion began. It made progress as he lay there in bed next to his sister. He smiled when he saw the color returning to her cheeks. But in the meantime, his, his face was, was growing pale and ashen, and his own smile now began to fade. And he looked up at the doctor and asked with a quivering voice, Doctor, when will I start to die? See, being so young, he had misunderstood the doctor. He, he thought that he was just going to give all his blood to his sister. You know? like, like, just take it all give it to her and then she'll live and I'll die yeah. he was ready to do that because he loved yeah. he was ready to lay down his life out of love he had misunderstood that he was going to give all his blood to his sister well it might seem like a quaint childless little mistake but are there signs in my life that I have made that kind of mistake have I given myself totally to my sisters in the work, in fraternity, in, at home, have I given myself totally, which is not, we know, equivalent to any form of activism, any kind of form, you know, running around, keeping super busy. We, we may think that that's laying down my life. Maybe laying down my life is simply with a smile and with patience a good explanation of something to somebody else or simply being there ready just to listen to them without us necessarily having all the solutions our father said our life has to be he said a prolonged echo of those words of our our lord this is my command that you love one another as i have loved you a man can have no greater love than to lay down his life for his friends Is my life in some way a prolonged echo of those words? Our Father said that this is a discovery that we all have to make. It's expressed in charity, it's expressed in affection, in warmth. Everybody needs this. Everybody must feel this from us. Somehow experience it in our behavior. Our words, our interest in them. There's nothing better than recognizing that love, in some way, our Father said, has made us slaves of God. From the moment we recognize that we cease being slaves and become friends, sons, and daughters of God. Yesterday, we celebrated the feast of Our Lady of Fatima. I presume there were all kinds of ceremonies and celebrations there in Portugal and Fatima. But we can go now and uh, picture that photo, that famous photo of the OC of the three children. You know, I think seven, eight, and nine years old or something. They're very, very young. And the faces seem so serious for these little children. And Yet they they were from, of course, very simple families. They were very sort of enclosed in that little village where they came from. Yet Our Lady chose them. And at one point, she said, she asked that they pray for Russia. So that it not continue to spread its its, uh, ideas, its false ideas. Pray for Russia. And I can imagine the children looked at each other and said, "What's Russia? What is Russia? How do you spell that? Russia?" Okay, you know, they didn't know what Russia was, but they embraced the the request with a sense of responsibility, as though that request depended on their correspondence, their mortification, their penance, their prayer, and we have all kinds of accounts and stories about the kind of mortification that they that they would live they they bring their lunch but they would feed it to the sheep and things like that and uh, how can we do this how can we correspond with fidelity in our given circumstances now in the specific circumstances correspond be generous in our prayer in our mortification in our penance in our affection in our charity we know that the, one of the results of living that generosity in living out our vocation, one of the powerful effects of that is that we become contemplatives. Those little children, I think, were already contemplatives. Eh? Sister Lucia, she, or she became a Carmelite nun, she, she became a contemplative. But those little children too were already contemplatives in the middle of the world. I I heard this anecdote of a guy in Florida who owned a grove of mango trees and in Florida there he was walking around and uh, as he was looking at his wonderful mango trees uh, in this, I guess the season was ripe or something he saw something blue hovering at his eye on the right side somehow and he looked and there for the first time in his life he saw some species of blue dragonfly. It has a special name, I don't know if it's called Blue Dragonfly or something. And he stopped and it was hovering there above him, I think just above one of the mangoes or something. And he he started going closer and closer to it. And he realized that that was the first time in his life he had ever seen an actual blue dragonfly. And he was just enthralled at the fact of seeing this. And then, of course, he looked it up and he saw all the details and what this blue dragonfly was, and there's whatever the species was, right? But he was uh, amazed that in the last, he was like 65 years old, and in the last 65 years old, I I have never actually looked upon a blue dragonfly. If that's the exact name, I'm presuming it is, but, you know. Now, what in my last 65 years, or whatever put your age there, uh, have I not actually? examined or looked at carefully you know we we walk around every day and the, the stars are looking down upon us and when was the last time you looked up at the stars and said oh look there's the stars okay. they, they're, they are there all the time it's not as though they go on vacation no, they, they're there they look upon us they look down upon us yet we don't notice Remember how God told Abraham Look up and see Look up and see if you can count the stars Such will your descendants be And he looked up And it's as though there he became a contemplative And Pope Francis when he was in Iraq He said those same stars that Abraham saw Continue to look upon us today And the Lord is asking us also, like he asked Abraham, such will your descendants be. How will you how will you activate those descendants that are the stars? Well, we ask this of our Lord, and we ask Saint Matthias, and why not uh, our lady of Fatima? They intercede for us so that we become humble and faithful and genuine and very generous in the divine vocation that god has given us certainly saint matthias was generous he was chosen by god but gave his life laid down his life for his friends we ask our blessed mother and saint matthias to help us do this as well I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.